Joshua chapter 10, thinking the impossible. Now, we know as believers that we know that our God is capable of doing great and mighty things beyond uh, even that which we could even ask or think. And uh, we know that, but sometimes we may not always act on it. We may, uh, even though we have that information in our mind, God, I know you can do all things, sometimes we may talk ourselves out of believing in that and actively uh, claiming those promises or stepping out in faith uh, because of a lack of faith that we may have in his ability to do it in our circumstance. And what I want us to be able to see this morning is that Joshua, this leader we've been following uh, for the past several weeks, what we find this morning is that he literally thinks outside the box. Uh, The Bible says this was a day like no other. Um, It actually records this as one of the more magnificent events um, to happen outside of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is huge, guys. What has happened in the story leading up to it in Joshua chapter 10 is that some men have come up knowing that Joshua and the armies of Israel are conquering whoever they come across. And this little group of people called the Gibeonites have realized uh, that the Israelites win when, they're, when they engage in battle. The Gibeonites realize that the Israelites are going to conquer them at some point. So the Gibeonites devise a plan and they send some men who look like poor uh, wayfaring men out with their, with their holes in their clothes and their moldy bread. And, and they go up to the Israelites and they ask them to make a pact with them, a covenant with them. And Joshua, obviously motivated out of mercy, makes a pact uh, with these men, saying that we will not destroy you, we will become your allies. So the Gibeonites leave, and later Joshua finds out that he had been betrayed, that the men who who tried to get him to enter into this covenant, or did get him to enter this covenant, uh, that they were lying to him. So he made this deal on false pretenses. Well, then the Gibeonites realized, hey, we got real problems. There are five kings. The five Amorite kings have now surrounded us. And since we are now aligned with Israel, we're on their bad list. And there's getting ready to be a fight. The five kings of the Amorites and all of their people are now wanting to attack the Gibeonites. So they come to Joshua, who they recently made the covenant with, and said, hey, we're in trouble. Are you going to help us? And Joshua agrees to keep his promise agrees to keep the pact that he made with the Gibeonites. Even though it was made under the pretense of a lie, he still kept his promise to the people, to the Gibeonites. And the Bible tells us in chapter 10, verse 7, after Joshua has agreed now to go fight in the war with them. It says in verse 7, So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all of the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand, and not a man of them shall stand before you. Have we heard that before in Joshua? Yeah, we've heard it a bunch. Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Beth Oron, and struck them down as far as Ezekiel to Makeda. And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Aram that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Ezekiel, and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord, 
in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the people had revenge on their enemies. Look at verse 14. And there has been no day like that before it or after it that the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. Guys, that's big. By the way, if you ever want to play a joke on someone and you share that story with them, you can always point up to the sky and say, Sun, stand still. And it will. Yeah, the sun doesn't move. We're the ones that move around it. But I think you get what Joshua was saying. I want us to think about a few things that are really remarkable in this. And hopefully we're able to apply some of these principles um, into our own life. Because what he does is huge. It's something you don't find that often to this degree in Scripture. And the first thing is this, and there are a lot of awesome things in this story, but I want you to consider this first one with me. Joshua had a tremendous zeal for victory. And I don't want to spend too much time on these first two things. I want us to be able to move through them because I want to spend a majority of our time on the last one. But consider this for a moment. Joshua had a zeal for victory. The Bible tells us in that first few verses that I read that God tells him, Joshua, I'm going to deliver all of these men into your hands. You are going to win the battle. Joshua, you are already victorious. All you have to do is show up. And I think about that. Because the Bible says that Joshua marched his men all night. Now, he's marching them all night through the countryside to obviously put them in the best possible situation for a win in a victory that has already been granted theirs. You see, if I have to put myself in this story. Because I know that it's not too much for God to tell Joshua, Joshua, I've got this under control, I know what's going on, and I'm going to secure a win for my people and for my name. That's not anything new, we've seen that before. But if I was Joshua, and I'm really being honest with myself and with you, if I was Joshua, and I'm commanding these men, I am leading these men in the army, and God told me that I won already, I don't know that I would work so hard to get my men in the best possible position. I don't know that I would have such a zeal for victory that I would march my men all through the night. And let me tell you, this seems to play out in the story. This seems to have consequences later in the story. If it was me, and I'm honest, I'd probably say, hey, you know what? God said we won, so let's just chill out for a bit. Let's get some sweet tea, find some shade. Let's kick our, our heels up a little bit. Let's relax for a few days, a week, or two, or three. And then when we're all well rested, then we'll go get it. You know, I think about something. I think about how I would respond. And I think about the similarities to this story and this situation in our churches. Jesus said right before He ascended back to the Father, He said, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. Guys, that's awesome. All authority has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, teaching them all things whatsoever I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, 
promising us His power, His purpose, and His presence. If you think about it, what Jesus Christ told us in Matthew chapter 16, He said, Upon this rock I will build My church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. If I look at the Great Commission and I look at Jesus speaking about the institution of the church, I understand that we are in a similar place to what God told Joshua. I believe that the church is in an incredibly similar place that we can say, you know what? In our lives as a church, in our lives as individual believers, we have been given, granted, provided the victory from Jesus Christ. We won. We're winning. But the difference is that even though as Christians we have won, Jesus has declared the victory for us in His resurrection, His ascension, and His promise to soon return. If Jesus has promised us the victory, are we living in that victory? Do we have that same zeal to say, I want to go out and be a part of what God is doing because I want to play for and with the team that has already won? I believe there are some churches and some individuals that go out and claim the victory while others wait for it to be brought to them. And Joshua was one of those that heard God say, you've already won. And Joshua marched his men all through the night in order to get to that battlefield to claim the victory. Had an incredible, incredible zeal for victory for the Lord's name. Notice the second thing real quick. Joshua saw God bless their efforts. I love this. In verse number 9, it says, Therefore Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched all night. So the Lord routed them before Israel. That's a cool word, isn't it? He routed them, killed them with a great slaughter, chased them along the road, and struck them down. Now think about those words. He routed them, killed them, great slaughter, chased them, struck them down. What they're saying is that God is pretty much cleaning their clock. That's... That's Jamie's contemporary version of what God's doing. He's, he's doing some great things. He's winning, which is what God does. But notice verse 11. And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them, and they died. And there were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. We have something going on now. God says, Joshua, you won, show up. Joshua runs through the night, leading his army all through the night, puts them in this place. They surprise their enemies. They then are winning. They're defeating them. The people are being struck down. They're being routed. They're being killed with a great slaughter. But yet some of them are getting away. It's not an entire victory. It's not an entire defeat at this point. And all of a sudden, those tired soldiers who have been marching all through the night and no doubt are weary, are seeing something that they probably could not have imagined. As they're out there fighting and the men are starting on their descent, they're running away and they're getting away. They see something happen that probably blew their mind. All of a sudden they see large hailstones from the sky falling down on all of their enemies. In fact, God had showed up in the middle of that battle and showed Israel, I'm still in control of this. You may think they're getting away, but they're not. I've got it. Guys, I believe that God stepped in for several reasons. 
One is, I believe he wanted all the enemies to know that they were not just fighting the Israelites, they were fighting the Israelites' God. Second thing, I believe God wanted his people to be encouraged. To see that they were not ever fighting alone, but that God was still commanding and orchestrating from his throne on high. But I believe that there was a third reason why God stepped in and threw down those big snowballs with pinpoint accuracy. By the way, this was the harvest time, not a time you would expect to see giant hailstones falling from the sky, let alone ones that are hitting all the enemies and killing them in a great heat. I believe God was showing the people that he was willing to bless their efforts. Guys, let me tell you one of the great things about when we as individuals strive to live in accordance and obedience to the word of God, strive to walk in close fellowship and communion with him, Strive to be the people who live in the victory that Christ has promised us in our life and as a church. I believe that there are things that we will see on the field of service that we never would have seen sitting on the sidelines of the show. I believe when we come off of the sidelines and engage and participate in what God is doing, I believe we have a chance to see things that literally blow our mind. The ways that God is working and orchestrating and blessing Throughout his work. I love. I love my calling. I love pastoral ministry. But one of the things I think I love about the whole thing. Is that God has given me many opportunities. To see him working in ways that other people don't. I get an opportunity sometimes behind the scenes. To see God working in hearts. And to see God working in families. And to see God working through decisions. And and see transformation in ways that. Maybe other people don't. And I want to encourage you this morning that if you are sitting on the sidelines and, and, and just watching all of these things happen without being a part of what God is doing, without serving somewhere through your life individually for the purpose and the glory of Christ, I believe you're only getting to see part of the picture. It's one thing to hear them come back from the field and tell the stories. It's a whole other thing to be on the field and to see it actually happen. I want to take you to the third and final thing. Zeal for victory, a blessing of their efforts. But Joshua, no doubt, had incredible faith. Incredible faith. Verse 12, Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel. This isn't a private prayer. He's standing in front of the people. And he says, Sun, stand still, and moon, hold your place. So if this doesn't happen, he looks like a big fool, right? There's no way around it. I mean, if he says, sun, stand still, and moon, hold your place, and everybody watches. Yep, the shadow on Johnny's getting a little longer, it's still moving. He'd look like a fool, wouldn't he? Do you remember me saying the other day when the Israelites marched around Jericho and they blew their trumpet in obedience to what God said? Had God not made those walls fall, they would look like the biggest fools in the world. Faith requires us to be vulnerable. Now, I don't want you to get out. I don't want to get you the wrong idea of Joshua. Nowhere in Joshua's character does it reveal that he's saying, I'm going to show these people how awesome I am. There's nothing to support that in Scripture. 
There's nothing that we see in His character that says, I'm going to do something that they have never seen, so they are going to recognize me and further follow my leadership. There's nothing ever demonstrated in His character, in His life, that reveals that that would be His motive. Why did Joshua? Why did Joshua? Say, son, stand still. Hold your spot right there. And moon, you freeze. Right there. Why? Do you remember me saying that they marched, he marched because of his zeal for victory, marched the troops all night? And then they engage in battle? And even though they're fighting to the best of their ability, some of the enemies are getting away. Do you remember? And as they're going down the descent, God steps in with hailstones. If you continue to read Joshua chapter 10, even the hailstones did not kill them all. Do you know what was going on? The enemies were still getting away. You know what happens when your enemies are running at night? They get away. Do you remember what God told Joshua in the very beginning of this battle? Do not worry. Not a man of them shall stand before you. God had already promised Joshua complete victory. So what Joshua is saying is, God, if you have promised us complete victory and now my guys are tired, the enemies are getting away and it's going to be dark here in just a moment, then God, I understand then the only thing we can do is for you to hold the sun right there, hold the moon there, and give us some more daylight so we can finish what we're supposed to do. Guys, he asked for something that had never been done. And frankly, what amazes me the most is that he even thought to ask it. To him, God was not some small God that only worked on occasion. He saw God as truly omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient, one that could truly do anything in accordance to his will. And Joshua is asking in accordance to his will. You told us you would wipe them all out. You told us we would win and not a man would stand before you. So I'm going to ask God, hold that light right there and keep that one right there because we need all the daylight we can in order to finish the job. Now, I do have to say this. There are some who seem to doubt or have a tendency to doubt the idea that God literally, as it seems in the Scripture, would stop the orbit of the earth and the rotation of the moon around it. If you think about it, it's a remarkable thing. You've got the sun right here, you've got the earth here, and you've got the moon which is going around it. And what God has done is, as the earth is moving around the sun, if I believe this the way it's written, then what God did is when Joshua said stop, God stopped it and literally held the earth in its position in the skies and held the moon in its orbit around the earth so that the moon and the sun were in the exact same place. Now, some of you may say this. Well, that would cause all of us to go flying off of the earth, wouldn't it? Because we wouldn't have that gravitational pull. I'm guessing that if the one who made the heavens and the earth is sovereign enough to step back in and to stop it, 
I'm sure he can work around a little thing like gravity. If he can make it freeze, you telling me he can't make gravity, he can't make us stay on the earth like we intended? Yes. Guys, we, we say sometimes, yes, I know God can do all things. I know it. But having heard it and remembering it is by far different than acting on it. It's one thing to say, with God all things are possible, but to actually believe it and live our life. Now, now let me remind you, this isn't just saying, we, I hope we don't walk out of the door, put our hands on the doorknob and say, alright, my Christmas list just got bigger. I mean, I hope that we don't put our hands on the door and say, all right, I can ask God now for those big things. Reminding you, Joshua asked in accordance to the previous promise. How should we pray? How should we be fearless in praying the impossible when it lines up with what we know God's will is according to His Word? You want to pray for a lost soul? You think God wants that lost soul to be saved? Absolutely. You know what I would do? I would say, God, I know in your word that you love this world more than I do. You love this lost soul, fill in the blank, whoever that is, and say, God, I pray that by any means possible, through, through dreams or through, through an unexpected visitor, through a gospel track, through a billboard, through a message in the sky, God, you might lead that person and soften their hearts to receive your son Jesus. You know what? You are praying the impossible. You are thinking outside of the box. It matches up with God's previous promise. It lines up with His will as revealed in the Word. And you then have the freedom to pray as big as you want. Wow. Sun stands still. Moon, hold your place. He asked for something that had never been done. Reminds me a lot of Elijah. When the widow's son had died and Elijah crawled over on top of the widow's son and began to seek God and say, God, I ask you to restore his soul back to him. Restore this boy's soul back to him. You know what's remarkable about that? God did it. God restored that soul back to that child and he was resurrected the first time in the Bible. Anybody had ever been resurrected. Nobody before that had ever been resurrected, but Elijah asked for it. Joshua had never seen the sun stand still, but he asked for it. Guys, you know the great thing about this? Two things. First thing is this. Can you imagine? We look at it from the side of light. Can you imagine those poor suckers on the other side of the world? Think about it for a minute. Their roosters don't know when to crow. They're sleeping in, they're missing work. Their solar watches don't work. I mean, things are a problem on the other side of the world. And honestly, I mean, if this happened, and I believe it the way it's written, then I know that that other side of the globe was dark for an extra long amount of time. And what I think about this is when God does the impossible, 
When God blesses the faithful prayers of His people that match up and line up with His will and His word and His heart, I believe it doesn't just affect us, but it can affect the other side of the world. God wants to use you and me. He delights to use First Baptist Joplin, I believe, for the purpose of His glory to affect lives on the other side of the world. Now let me ask you one final question. One final question. If God, if we believe this miracle happened exactly in that way and that God brought the rotation and the orbit of these two celestial bodies and froze them, nobody would doubt that is big. But let me propose this question to you for just one second. If God would freeze those celestial bodies in orbit, all for the purpose of keeping His promise to destroy the enemies of His people, then what more would God be willing to do to bring the nations to a saving relationship with Himself? If God would do that to destroy, I have to believe that there is absolutely nothing He would not do for the purpose that He sent His Son to save souls. Maybe the Scriptures are right in that God's arm is not shortened, that it cannot save. Maybe the Scriptures are dead on when it says His ear is not dull, that it cannot hear. Maybe, maybe, maybe we are not asking. Maybe we are not thinking the impossible. Maybe we're not praying in accordance to His will and His word and His heart. Do we have a zeal for victory? Are we saying God bless our efforts? And are we asking God to do what truly, truly seems impossible, but we know that His word says that that's faith. Trusting in His Word when everything else seems to tell us not to. That's faith. I want to ask you. We know that verse. With men it is impossible, but with things, with God all things are possible. And that is a verse that speaks to not just the magnitude and the capabilities of God, but it says this. That statement is true in a variety of situations. But do you guys know the context in which that was written? That was a response from Jesus to a question that Peter asked him. Peter asked him at the rich young ruler who came and wanted to follow Christ but would not follow because he had many possessions. 
The possessions were a stumbling block and he would, not, he would not put those away so he could follow Christ with his whole heart. When the rich young ruler who had everything that the world said you needed to have to be in favor with God, when he walked away, Peter said these words, Who then can be saved? Who then can be saved? Jesus said with men it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. That awesome verse. In the context in which it was said, was all for the purpose of saying there is nobody who cannot be saved. I want to ask you this morning, do you know the same God that stopped the rotation of the moon and the orbit of the earth? A God that stepped into our world and not just caused those celestial bodies to freeze, that that God who demonstrated such power in destruction has even more power to restore. Do you know in your life right now, you can live in the power of God. You can start a relationship with Him today. I tell you, that is a great day, but it is still second to when Christ stretched out His arms and said, it is finished. It is still second to when the angel said, He is not here, He is risen. Come see the place where the Lord lay. That is the greatest day. And in our life today, we can claim that promise. You can say in your heart, God, I know I've sinned. I've lied, I've cheated, I've stolen. I've looked at things I shouldn't. I've not done things that I should. God, I know that there's sin in my life and you don't need to convince me of that. Today, you can say, God, with that sin that has separated me from you, I know that in my mind it is impossible. But with you, you major in the impossible. You today are willing to do the impossible. You are willing to reach down into my heart and to wipe my heart and my soul and my life clean through the blood of your Son, Jesus. And you, God, are willing then to call me your own and promise me a home in heaven and all of the promises of God are amen. That can be mine today. That seems impossible. But I promise you, according to God's Word, it is true. Do you believe it? If God would hold the earth to destroy the enemies of His people, what more will He do? What more will He do to save the souls of the one He sent His Son for?